Hey, I'm so stoked to see you guys. Welcome to Collective YA. Um, happy first day of spring and daylight savings time. It's the worst holiday ever invented, I will say. Um, the government steals an hour from us, and so taxes already do that, and now time does that. It's all good. But if it's your first time in this space, I just want to welcome you. I just want to say I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for coming out tonight in the midst of midterms, in the midst of kind of a chaotic week, which is what seemed for a lot of people. Um, if it is your first time or you haven't been here in a while, my name is Nick. I have the immense privilege of leading up this thing called Collective YA with my beautiful wife, Sky, And we really just desire to create a space and a community for young adults to find belonging and purpose centered around Jesus. As it's really hard to do that as a young adult. And there's a million things just begging for our attention. There's a million things trying to grab um, who we are and just take a part of us. And we really just believe that when we come together, right, Scripture says, when two or more are gathered there, I will be, there the Holy Spirit will be, that it can be really discouraging in times like this as a young adult, as a person trying to figure things out, that just what we need sometimes is just to get together with people who kind of are on the same track of life as us, maybe a little bit more ahead of us, maybe a little bit more behind than us, and just get together and talk and get in the word, jump into worship, just refocus and reanalyze our priorities. And so that's what we're all about here. And if you're new, We've been going through a relationship series called For the Love Of, and we just really feel that it's essential to understand relationships in a biblical context, that there's a, mil a million things to be said about relationships, but we really do believe that from a biblical standpoint, from a biblical grounding, that we can find success in our life and in following Jesus, we understand how relationships work, that we can treat our coworkers better, that we can treat our parents better, that we can treat those around us better, we can treat our spouses better, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our friends better. We understand God's love for us and for others. And so last week we talked about singleness. We talked about what it means, how it applies to us in different contexts. And this week I just was praying and just going before the Holy Spirit, just asking him, you know, Lord, what do you desire to communicate? What do you want to share through me, through this thing we're doing called collective? What do you desire to communicate, Jesus? And we're going to be talking about sex tonight. My mic died? <laughs> they paused it. They paused it on me to get your reaction. But we truly are, I really do feel like if we don't talk about it as the church, somebody will. That the culture will. That we are so influenced that it's everywhere around us. That there's so many things feeding into our lives, communicating what sex is, communicating what it looks like, what it is. And it's often been something not talked about in the church. And I remember growing up in church and, and having friends growing up in church and friends had more maybe a little bit more of a conservative background. They went to more classical church, more traditional church. And the most and the extent that someone would talk about sex from a stage was saying sexual idolatry. If you're married, good job. If you're not, good luck. Okay? And that was pretty much the gist of it, that nothing was, else was talked about. And I find when we don't talk about sex and even what godly sex looks like, what happens is we begin to feel ostracized. We may sit in a church service, and some of us grew up in church. Some of us didn't. Some of us kind of had one foot in, one foot out. And in all our different backgrounds and all our different stories, 
This all varies, but we may have sat in a sermon or listened to something or sat in a chair or sat in a small group in youth ministry or something like that and heard something about sex or something about the Bible and we hear about David and this woman taking a bath or you hear about, you know, Adam and Eve and it's like, what is going on? And you're sitting in a small group and they're talking about sex, they're talking about these things and some questions go on in your mind and you think to yourself, okay, but like, what about masturbation? Okay, like, what about pornography? Okay, what about... I, I don't feel like my sexuality fits in the paradigm of Christian marriage. How do, I, how do I face that? Or you think, you know, I've had premarital sex. I've done all that. Am I damaged goods now? And we have these questions and we have these things we wrestle with. And my idea and my desire is to communicate to you guys tonight what godly sex is. And not just to communicate that. And not just to stand up here and be like, don't have sex. Okay, see you guys later. Because that can often be the message communicated. What I desire to do is share a story, share a narrative with you, specifically out of the book of John. And it's this story about this woman that I feel like a lot of us can relate to. And it's an instance and a moment that I feel like many of us can find ourselves in. And if you don't, you probably will. And the idea tonight is what I want to share is that so much of culture is about consumerism. So much of culture of our modern day and age is I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. We got Spotify. You can download as much music as you want. Y'all, back in my day, you had to go get a CD. Anyone remember CDs? RIP. Yeah, you guys all do. I'm not, it's rhetorical. Um, you'd have to go get a CD, go burn it. You guys remember burning CDs on iTunes? Oh, my gosh, dude. You download it off YouTube. It's terrible quality. You pop it in your mom's Jetta, 2007 Volkswagen Jetta. You'd be bumping that. And now Spotify, you can literally download as much music right away. You can have it downloaded in moments. You got Amazon Prime. You want, I don't know, you want a Ninja Blender with all the components and all the parts? We'll drone drop it to you. We don't care. We don't care if they blow up. You got it. Two hours. And so much of our culture is this consumerism. It's instant gratification. We see it on our social media. We see it on our phones. I read this statistic the other day that the average iPhone user, Android included, okay, but the average phone user, smartphone user, spends approximately three and a half hours a day on their phone. That's the average, okay? Mine was four hours and 15 minutes last week, up by 17%. Thank you, screen time. So I am not exempt. But so much of our culture is just swipe, scroll, pick, choose, and sex is not excluded from that. And so much of our culture is oriented around this, that we have apps like Tinder and Bumble, where it's like, if, if you're horny, if you want to hook up, you meet somebody, you're there in an instant, you get it done, you're done, you're out, that's it. And I was recently um, on social media, and one of my friends is actually sponsored by Tinder. He's like a professional skateboarder. It's an interesting situation. But I saw this ad, and it just like baffled me. And it's like him talking with all these people around, and he says, in Tinder, you get to find your dream lay. It's just this crazy concept to me. It struck just such a weird note with me of like, not even like your, your, your dream person, not even like your dream spouse, not even like your dream boyfriend or girlfriend, just your dream lay. Just you get to make somebody an object. It's what you want. It's how you get it. That's it. That's all. And so in talking about this, this is so much of what our culture is. What we've seen with culture We've seen this shift, right? There's two sides of the spectrum. On one side, it seems like we have the church, and the church in the terms of, like, institution, not just people. We, but it seems like we have the church. And so much of us have been taught 
in the church or in the culture of the church because not everything always has to be said from a stage, that it can happen amidst people, that it can happen in conversation. But in the church, it's like, don't talk about sex. It's kind of a secret. If you're married, good luck, good job. If not, sorry. And so nobody's really talking about it in the church and a lot of us growing up in that. But then on the other side in the world, it's get as much of it as you want. It's whoever, whenever. It's just an act. It doesn't really matter. It's really, you're just a biological being. You're just made up of cells and, and endorphins, and you just release those things, and that's it. It's nothing more. But what I desire to communicate tonight is something, a balance in the middle, that it's not just an act. It's not just something that we're all just animals, and we're all just mating, and that's it, and it's all about procreation. But on the same side, it's not something that's to be kept a secret. It's not something that's to not be talked about. That sex from a biblical standpoint, as we see in the Genesis account, is something that God designed. Did you know that? God made sex. That it wasn't, if you look in Genesis, I encourage you to read. We're not going to read it tonight. But I encourage you to read in Genesis 2. God designed sex within the paradigm of a man and a woman in marriage. And then the fall happens. It's not like the fall happens. Sin enters the world. Then it's like, okay, I guess we got to include sex in that. Okay, cool. God designed sex. Sex is actually good. And to break a little bit of the ice, to break a little bit of the tension, we're going to do a little interaction. I want us all to say this. Sex is good. God designed it. Are you ready? Say it. Sex is good. God designed it. Amen. Some of y'all are like, why have I not been going to church more? If this is what's talked about every week, some of y'all are like, I am so nervous right now. I do not want to be talking about this. I am squirming in my seat. And I just want to say, if that's you tonight, if, if the mention of sex is something that makes you nervous if you've had a background that you're not proud of, if you've had things gone on in your life that have hurt you, that have given you this poor image of sex, I just want to say I'm sorry. I just want to say that was never God's original design for your life, that he designed us with these things in mind. He designed us not to just suffer in this world and just have these things go on in our minds and just deal with them and it's like, good luck, I don't know how to help you. It's that we're built in a specific way, in a specific function. And if we don't educate ourselves, we don't understand how God feels about it, we're going to let culture speak into it. And we're going to have our head filled with lies. And God never desired or wanted us to feel like sex is this dirty, evil, secretive thing. That's through mankind. That's through humanity. That's through our faults. And so without further ado, if you're taking notes tonight, the title of our talk tonight is For the Love of Godly sex. I don't just want to title it for the love of sex because on a podcast it looks kind of strange. Somebody might click on it thinking it's something else. But pretty much what we're going to be jumping into tonight is this story in John 8. This story in John 8. And as I mentioned, I really do feel like it's necessary to talk about this. I really do believe this is something that is so vital and important to understanding because as you, many of you probably know, my full-time job, what I do is I'm not just like this public speaker guy. I don't just stand up here each week and say like, okay, what do like people need to hear this week? Okay, let's like write down some cool things. Let's read the Bible. Cool, I'm going to go home and wait another week till I do this again. No, what I get to do is I get to pastor people. It's like my passion. It's my dream. I get to shepherd people. I get to walk alongside young adults. I get to walk alongside a lot of you. And one of my greatest privileges is sitting amidst young adults, is sitting one-on-one with coffee, one-on-one in my office or one-on-one on a walk and just having conversations of just letting people tell me about their life, tell me about what's going on with them, tell me about the baggage they're carrying. 
And one of the greatest, most significant things I see across the board when having conversations, even in my own life and in the lives of others, is just brokenness over sexual sin and sexuality in general. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people, and this isn't to shame them, it's just to say, this is real, y'all. This is something we're all experiencing. This is something we're all going through. If you're in this place experiencing sexual sin and guilt and shame, you're not alone. We have all experienced it at some point, as we're going to read about. But I can't say how many times that I've sat across from people, and they, they've done it all. They've lived it up. They've sowed their wild oats. They've had sex with as many people as much as possible. They've experimented and done all the things. And they just come to me just like, Nick, I feel like I'm more empty than I showed up with. I feel like I'm more broken than I could ever imagine. I thought this, this action, I thought these things would fix me. It just left me emptier. And my desire tonight is to communicate in through conversation, to share some biblical truths and foundations, not to put anyone to shame, not to, not to put a spotlight on your sin, not to make you feel like I'm outing any of you, right? But to truly have a conversation about this, because it needs to be talked about. Because I, I, I'm so tired of us being lied to. I'm so tired of seeing people believe the lies of the culture, that it is just an act and it doesn't really matter. And it's, if it's a desire, just like hunger and thirst. You need to have sex too. It's good. It's all the same. And truly, that I think we can find freedom in a process or tonight in this place, God willing, through understanding this. And so if you've got your Bible, like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 8, verse 1. If you want to read with me, you can. If not, it might be on the screen. I have no idea. All right. Let's see it. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down. And wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for each individual in this place tonight, God. Thank you, Lord, for just ruthlessly desiring to just redeem us, God. Just ruthlessly desiring to reconcile things in our lives and our relationships, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for that you cover everything, God. That we don't have to be defined by what we've done or all the things we haven't done or have done. But, Lord, that we are defined by you and we trust in you, God. And Jesus, I pray for any individual in this place, Jesus, who's just carrying so much shame, so much guilt, so much condemnation from, from things, from, from the world, God, from lies just being spoken over them, Jesus. Lord, we pray tonight that we may find freedom in this place through your word, Lord. 
Jesus, let me communicate what you desire to communicate. Jesus, let it be nothing but what you desire to communicate, Lord. Let me get out of the way. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you're doing in this place and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So in laying out the understanding of the story, what we first need to lay out is God's original design for sex. And as I mentioned in the creation story, God designs this thing called marriage with man and a woman. In Genesis 2, you can read about it. What he tells them is, be fruitful and multiply. Okay? What he's saying is, hey, guys, go get after it. <laughs> okay? He's not saying, um, he's not talking about trees. Okay? He's talking about man and woman. But then after the fall, after humanity makes its own choice, and the fall is really spurred on, the, the corruption of humanity falls into place, when the question pops into our mind is, is God's idea for me really the best thing? Is God's idea for my life really what's best for my life? And we take matters into our own hands. And so then corruption fills the world, and what happens is there's really no boundaries anymore. It's, it's up to us. It's I make my own life. I make my own decisions. And what happens is this develops, is, is things fall apart. Systems get built in place. There's, there's things like incest. There's things like misogyny. There's things like abuse. There's things like polygamy, just evil things that God never designed. But it fills our world because man decides, I think I know what's best for me. And where we come into play with this story is this idea of adultery. And now, what we need to understand is these, these guys show up to Jesus with this woman. And from this, from this scene, we can get three moments to learn from when understanding godly sex and what Jesus has to do with it. And the first moment is the accusation. It's the accusation. And it's these three group of men, this group of men, that have found this woman who is in the act of adultery, okay? And biblically defined... What this means is this woman's having sex with somebody who's not her husband, okay? It's something that's very specific. It's a very intense scene. And most likely scholars argue because the man wasn't brought with her that the men targeted this woman. People suspect, were they watching the act? Were they waiting? Did they set it up? We really don't know. But what we do know is that these men are targeting this woman to throw her before Jesus and to accuse her. And what we need to understand is, you know, this, this moment is depicted in a bunch of different paintings in the Renaissance, Middle Ages, and it's like this, like, Anglo-Saxon woman with, like, braids in her hair, and she's, like, standing before Jesus, and it's, like, three people, and it's, like, super, like, chill, and it's all pastel. But the truth is, this scene was probably super intense. They suspect that it's a group of people. It was at the temple courts, okay? So if you're a tender of Calvary, if you go to Calvary Church, Albuquerque, what's up? But... It's pretty much the same setting. It's pretty much if somebody was caught cheating on their wife, sleeping with somebody they shouldn't be, taken out of bed, dragged over to church, if you've been to Calvary on like a Sunday morning at 11 a.m., thrown in the amphitheater, thrown in the main area where there's hundreds of people, and then going to the lead pastor, Pastor Skip, and saying, hey, Skip, we caught this woman having sex with somebody they shouldn't. What are you going to do? This is the same setting. It's not this cute little quaint thing. It's just, Jesus, hey, Jesus, come over here. We have something to talk to you about. It's like, no, this is an intense scene. There's probably things going on. There's people, probably so many people there. It's the temple. It's like the place to be. It's, it's hundreds of people most likely. And there's this woman thrown into the middle of this circle with all these people surrounding her saying, Jesus, are you going to stone her and kill her right here or not? What do you say? That's what we're told to do. And here we have Jesus standing here posed with what to do. 
And what we need to understand when, when reading into this is this was the law of the time for the Jews. In Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus 20, you could read about a little bit more. But what would happen if somebody was caught in adultery, caught sleeping with somebody they shouldn't be, not their husband or wife? They would both be stoned. And so what's kind of interesting is these men just grabbed the woman. They didn't take the other man because they should have. But they were discriminatory and just grabbed the woman. That's why a lot of people suspect this. So this was what was called for the Jews. They're called to be stoned, killed with rocks, not weed, okay? It's killed with rocks, okay? So what we need to understand is this is the setting. This is the moment. But according to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, adultery according to Jesus, pertains to more than just sleeping with somebody physically. Jesus says in Matthew that even if you think of the idea of sleeping with somebody else, if you objectify somebody in your mind and reduce them to, I'm going to have sex with this person, I'm going to think about it, that's adultery. So the reality is, in this story, we're all this woman. In the sense of, we all have been caught in the act of adultery. We all have participated. Nicholas Macedo has participated in adultery, according to Jesus. So in this narrative, it's not some just vague thing. Oh, this woman 2,000 years ago at this temple, that's cool. No, it's you and I. So what we need to understand is in this moment of the accusation is we're this woman. And we've all been accused. We've all been cast in front of people one way or another. And in this narrative, in this story, we understand this woman's like not clothed. Like they just grabbed her where she was. She was probably like just has barely a sheet over herself covering herself. So she's naked, ashamed, and exposed and accused. And I think many of us can relate with that tonight. That whether it is browser history that somebody found that they shouldn't have found, whether it's our parents finding out we've been sneaking out, doing things we shouldn't have with that person, or whether it's our own conscience that we've been thinking these thoughts and we're convicted, we have this guilt, we have this shame. We're sitting in this place, we're sitting in this moment at some point in our lives as the accused woman. And I know many of us in this place feel this tonight. That we are perpetually living under this shame and brokenness, like perpetually feel like we're in the spotlight. Like when we attend worship, we're thinking about the things we've seen, we're trying to sing to God. We're trying to focus on Jesus, but we can't stop thinking about the things we've watched that week or the moments we've had with people, and it just can't escape our minds. We, we try to have conversations with friends and, and just try to enjoy moments with people, but it can't stop repeating in our mind the things people did to us. We, we try to interact with people. We try to see people as, like we talk about God's image. But we, we can't stop objectifying people in our mind that we've reduced people down to just a gratification tool. And we feel in this shame where we don't know what to do. We feel accused. We feel naked and ashamed, whether physically and openly, like we have been, or mentally and spiritually. And so we're this woman. That's what the story is about. It's about you and I. But the interesting thing is that we're also the Pharisees. And what I mean is this, is the Pharisees are deciding and making up in their mind who this woman is. They're deciding if she's pure or not. They're deciding, does she have purity? I don't think so. She's impure. Let's stone her. And we do this with ourselves and others. We look at our lives and we may have done things we regret. We may have lived sexual sin. And then we decide, yeah, I don't have any purity anymore. I'm not a virgin. Yeah, I, you know the things I've done? I got no purity. How, how can Jesus use me? 
Or look at other people and the things they've done. Yeah, have you seen the things they've sent to those people? Yeah, have you seen their Instagram story? They ain't got no purity. But we need to understand is purity isn't based on virginity or the things you and I do. It's not, okay? And there's this thing in, in church culture, culture called uh, toxic purity culture. And it's this thing developed where it's all based on works, that you have purity based on your sexuality and what you've done and what you haven't done. That's a lie, man. Purity is based on Jesus. My purity is not in my own actions. If that was the case, I'm a pastor, y'all. I'm not perfect. If that was the case, I would not be purified. Jesus would not be purifying me if it was based on me and my actions alone. Purity is based on what Jesus has done for us. Purity is not based on what people think about you, what you've done, what you say about yourself. Purity was accomplished on the cross for you. Purity isn't virginity. Purity is freedom from guilt and shame. And so what we need to understand tonight is we're the woman. We've been accused. We've been ashamed. We've done things we probably shouldn't have, right? But the same side, we're also the Pharisees. We are the individuals accusing ourselves. We're the people walking around, yeah, you're just a porn addict. Yeah, you just objectify people all day. Yeah, you can't just stop sleeping around with people. And we accuse ourselves, and we repeat these lies over ourselves. And we make it our identity, when the truth is, if you're in Jesus, that doesn't have to be your identity. If you're in Jesus, your identity could be Christ, that Jesus sees you as himself, that God sees you as his son and daughter. He doesn't see you for the things you've done if you're in Christ. And so, yeah, you can clap for that. But we need to understand this, because there's so much sexual shame and guilt, and we're cast out, and we've done things, and we let it carry over us. But we need to understand, where is my identity placed in? How have I been identifying myself? And I encourage you to write it down if you're taking notes. Write this down. How have I identified myself? How have I been labeling myself? Have I been labeling myself as damaged goods? Have I been labeling myself as someone who just sleeps around? How have you been labeling yourself? Because these accusations we make against ourselves, these things we state, we need to cast it out to the light, y'all. We need to take it before Jesus say, Jesus, I need you to purify this. I need you to free me from this because I'm tired of carrying it. But in this moment, this is what, happen- this is, what is happening with these women. This, is, this woman, this is what is happening amidst these Pharisees. And so with this in mind, it brings us to Jesus' response to this, which is the example. We're going to reread in verses 7 through 9. And this is what Jesus says to the scenario. He says this, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and, and people speculate what Jesus was doing. People don't know if Jesus was, like, doing tic-tac-toe, ancient, ancient-like vibe, or if he was, like, writing their sins. But the important thing to understand here is that Jesus was literate, that Jesus was actually writing things. We don't know specifically. It doesn't really matter too much. But it's just something interesting to note. Of like, Jesus was writing in the sand. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. So here Jesus is. He's caught in this dilemma because by Jewish law, this woman deserves death. But by Roman law, at the time of the civilization they're living in, unless you're the Roman government, you can't enact capital punishment. And also, Jesus loves people. And he's known for somebody who sees sinners and meets them where they're at. It would be out of Jesus' character to allow this. And so he's caught in this dilemma. 
Yet he responds, you without sin, do it first. Feel free to, bro. You, you who caught her in the act, who saw this, you probably weren't thinking anything when you saw this going on because you're perfect. You throw the stone, bro. I imagine. Then he ties it in with these accusations. And I think this is really well emphasized in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. If you want to go there with me, you can. He says this, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Basically, nobody will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And some would say that is what some of you are. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Amen. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. That this is what God's narrative is speaking to us. That this is what Jesus is communicating to us in the 21st century right here, right now. You and I alone cannot rely on willpower. That you and I alone cannot rely on us doing the right thing all the time. That you and I alone cannot rely on self-righteousness. I hate to break it to you. You're going to mess up at some point. We all do. That the truth is that we have fallen short. And this is why Jesus goes to the Pharisees. And these guys were most likely like the holy of holy people. Like they desired, they knew the Bible of their time, the Torah, to front and back. They memorized every single verse. Could you imagine memorizing even just like all of Genesis? Like if I just stood up here and read Genesis to you from memory, you'd be like, man, this guy's like anointed. Like these were these dudes, for real. Like these guys weren't just like some swindlers. Like they were straight up like the people of the day who would be the people to follow God. Like they were people others looked up to. And Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. Because even these guys, no matter how much they have it together on the outside, they don't got together on the inside. And we have fallen short. Yet in the midst of this, what are we willing to surrender to Jesus? Are we willing to give him our pain? Are we willing to give him our brokenness? Are we willing to give him our sex life? Because once we do, we're able to move on from just me relying on myself all the time. To not watch that porn. To not think that thought. Oh, just, just like flex hard enough and I won't, I won't think that anymore. We, we stop relying on our own power once we give it to Jesus. Once we surrender it to him. Once we allow Jesus to work amidst our lives. And this is a process. But once we take it upon ourselves to submit ourselves to the way of Jesus. To understand, I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to get it right. But Jesus, you purify me. You define who I am. I'm not who I say I am. You are. And this is when we begin to stop labeling others. We begin to stop labeling ourselves because we remind ourselves, no, I'm a child of God. <laughs> no, I've made some mistakes. But Jesus wants to redeem what I've done. Jesus wants to take this relationships I've put in shambles and reconcile it. But at the same time, in sin, we're questioning if God's best pertains to us. If God, did God really say, if, if you've read that, so what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, did God really say that's good enough? Did, did God really say this is, this is good for you? Do you think, do you think God, tr like you trust him? Really? I don't know. You try it out. Because there's a balance to this. There's a balance to this grace that covers us. That even though we fall short, even though we mess up in the identity of Christ, 
There's also this thing Paul says, and all that's really good. It's like, oh, yeah, I was there too, and God, Jesus covers me. Amen, this is so good. And he says, and you can do everything, but is everything beneficial? This is what Paul offers to us through this, that we have the right to do anything in grace because it's covered, right? But how beneficial is it? That you may have the right to think that way about somebody because, you know, God's just going to forgive me. It's okay. I'll do this, and then I'll make it right. I'm building my testimony. But then how beneficial is it to view people in God's image when you're fantasizing about them all day? That you may have the right to watch porn. They may say, oh, I had such a hard week, Nick. Nick, it was so difficult. You don't know what goes on. I just, I just need something to distract myself. But is it beneficial for you? Is it beneficial for you to walk with Jesus? Because studies show that the use of pornography fuels the human trafficking industry. The use of pornography actually limits cognitive function in the brain. That the use of pornography lowers so many things. If you want to find out more about that, check out fightthenewdrug.com. They talk all about that. But is it beneficial? You may have the right to sleep with anybody you want. Jesus is going to forgive you for that. But is it beneficial to give yourself day after day to different people or to that one person that you're not married to and you give a part of yourself to them and you keep giving yourself away, keep giving yourself away, where you just kind of find that you're not much to be left with, that you really don't know who you are anymore because you've given so much of yourself. Because studies have also shown that when two people have sex, they become united. That this thing goes on where you become bonded with this person where you share emotions and you share physicality, and it's not just an act. Science disproves that. That when you break apart from that person, when you're not in marriage, the only thing that can hold that, that hold that weight of that unison, God calls it two-in-one flesh, that you take a part of yourself and you rip it away from that person, leaving something with them. Is it beneficial to do that? And Jesus, and what is not being said is, okay, you're cleansed, and then you got to work, work this off, okay? you got to make sure you're doing the right thing, and then, you know, you can be forgiven, and Jesus can cover you. What it's saying is, you can do those things. How beneficial is it? What is, is it producing God's work in your life? And as followers of Jesus, we have this right to grace, but in our relationship to Jesus, we benefit the greatest when we follow his guidelines for life. And this is what prompts us to our last moment. We're about to be done. Some of you are like, hallelujah, oh my gosh. Some of you are like, already? Just kidding. But this prompts us to our last moment. It's the call. The call. And this will be finishing up in verses, I believe, 10 through 11. It says this. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? And woman was a term of endearment. He's like, woman? He's like, it's a term of endearment, Okay. Okay, 2,000 years ago. Give it a break. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. And as the accusers leave, and I imagine one by one, they're like standing around super awkwardly. You ever been in like in a circle with people and someone says something like super like off the cuff and it's like a really out of place joke and everyone's like, okay, I got to go home now. And then I just imagine like all the like Pharisees like leave and they're like, oh, I didn't think it was going to go down like that. And one by one, everybody leaves. All the accusers leave. And it's just Jesus and this woman. What a, what a beautiful picture. And Jesus asked this phrase in the statement, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And, and in that blank phrase of, of woman, I, you could put your own name there. 
I could put my name there. Nick, has no one condemned you? Of understanding his response to her is his response to us. That no one's left, it's just him and her. And, he, and this prompts Jesus to this most profound moment of this story. No one condemns you? Okay, neither do I. And this is what we need to focus on. And this is something that I think a lot of us, if this is all you take away from tonight, this is all you get, that condemnation is not of Jesus. That, that condemnation is different from conviction. That condemnation, this guilt that, yeah, this is all you are, this is all you're going to be, good luck, yeah, 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 you're nothing, sorry. This is, this is your identity now, good luck with that. That's condemnation. It's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to mount to anything. My future relationships are ruined because I've looked at too much porn. Oh, my, I've had sex with too many people. How can I have an intimate sex life with my husband or wife one day? Oh, I, I've thought these things. I, I've had these fantasies about these people, and I feel like my brain can never return to the same. That's condemnation. It's different from conviction. Conviction is saying, okay, but let's go. Come on. Conviction is saying, hey, you have this guilt, and guilt is okay to have. It's okay to feel bad about something. There's an issue when we do things and we just feel more numb and more numb and more numb. Conviction is, is weighing our choices and our guilt and our options and saying, okay, Jesus, but what are we going to do about this? Okay, Jesus, I'm going to submit it to you. And this is what Jesus prompts him to say, now go and leave your life of sin. That's not just Jesus like, oh, you're a cool girl. They're just freaking out over nothing. He didn't say that. He said, yeah, like, you're a pretty messed up person. Like, maybe we should have stoned you. He says, no, I don't condemn you. This isn't who you are. You can move on from this. But leave this life of sin. That's important This is life of sin. He doesn't just say of sin. Because I think Jesus knows we all sin. And saying, like, oh, just leave your sin. It's like, uh, that's kind of like leaving, like, my left foot. You know what I mean? Like, I need it. Like, it's kind of something that's a part of me. Like, I'm a sinful person. He says, leave your life of sin. Because when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to sexual sin, more often than not, it's a lifestyle choice we make. More often than not, it's something we live into. And what Jesus is asking for each and every one of us is, what are we willing to leave tonight? What are we willing to lay it down before him in our lifestyle and our choices and leave it with him? Not say, okay, but... You know, I still want to, like, kind of do this thing still. I kind of want to, like, still experiment a bit. And, like, you know, I want to kind of, like, test the car before I buy it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Jesus says, no. Leave your life of sin. He doesn't say, oh, just leave a little bit. You know, you can come back to. He says, leave it. What Jesus is prompting us to do is the same thing tonight. And for some of us, it will require to make things right. It will require some effort. It will require, if we're living in a lifestyle of pornography addiction, putting some stuff on our phone to block that, y'all. If, if we can't get off social media because we keep looking at things and it makes us stumble each time, maybe just like delete Instagram. If we can't stop texting that person and hooking up with them and getting and shacking up with them, maybe like delete their number out of your phone. Like some practical things of, okay, I'm leaving this. I, I'm getting away from this. Because I imagine there's grace for this woman. Jesus forgives her. But there's still consequences. I, I just wonder what this woman had to go home and face. Maybe she was married, maybe she wasn't. Did she go, have to go to this man's wife and apologize to her to make things right, to reconcile? Because that's what we're called to do in Scripture, to make things right. 
Did she have to go to her husband and confess sin? James says the confession to one another is freedom. That when we confess our sins to one another, when we sin against one another, when we do things wrong, maybe we've hurt people sexually. Maybe we've objectified people in a relationship. Maybe we've thought things about people we shouldn't have. I'm not telling you go to the person you're thinking about be like, hey, by the way, don't do that. But what I am saying is, what do you have to make right tonight? What consequences do you have to deal with? Because we all have to deal with them. I know I have. Because I imagine this woman had to. And it was required for her to leave this lifestyle. It was required for her to move on, to get closure. To know, okay, I can't go back to that. I've closed that door. Some doors need to be closed tonight for us. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, Jesus loves us enough and respects us enough to allow us to do what we desire. And the truth is, for many of us, we may be followers of Jesus in this place, and we may really be into this. We may have been a Christian, and we had this real encounter with Jesus, and maybe in recent or a long time ago. The truth is, it's up to you what you desire to do with your life, what you desire to do with your sexuality. Because the truth is, God loves you enough to not force you to do anything. God loves you enough to give you the free will to, okay, if you want to do that, do that. But on the same hand, that's what God's wrath is, is handing us over to what we want most. And if I'm being honest, I am just so weighed down. I am just so just burdened by, by sitting with people, by, by walking with friends, by, by talking to people who got divorced because they couldn't kick their pornography habit or they slept with somebody else's wife. That I just wonder, like, what were some things that we could have left behind back there before we got here? That life and the condemnation we carry and and the sin we carry, we don't need to carry it. We can leave it to Jesus. And this isn't to downplay some of the addictions we face in our lives and some of the deep-rooted things. Sometimes you need counseling. Counseling is okay. Okay, I'm just here to say if, if you need to get counseling, that's okay. It's not against Scripture to get therapy. Some of us have some deep wounds we need to deal with. But I, I think Jesus is calling us into this tonight. Say, hey, grace covers you. That's not who you are anymore. Come on, let's go. You're more than that. But at the same time, what are you willing to do to follow Jesus? What are you willing to do to take practical steps to shed the things that are weighing you down from being beneficial in your following of Jesus? Because you can live all of your life, get to the end of your life, get on your deathbed if you're that blessed, I guess. And you can say to yourself, yeah, you know, I... I just, nobody sits like this. Hey, yeah, I wish I watched more porn. Yeah, man, I wish I just like objectified that girl some more and just thought about her every night and yeah, just like whatever. Oh, I wish I just slept with more random strangers. That just sounds so sweet. Nobody gets the end of their life in that place. Because I care about each and every one of you, I care about getting to the end of your life and being able to say, hey, I followed Jesus' guidelines for my life. I messed up. I didn't do it all right, but I did what I could. I followed Jesus. I left that condemnation. I left that shame at the foot of the cross. I'm purified because he said so. And so with that tonight, I want to pray for us. The band's going to come back out. But I just want to challenge you and prompt this question of, what have you not submitted over to Jesus? What, what is an area of your life when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to sex in general, and for some of us, we're like, I don't even care about having sex. It's like, oh, hallelujah, praise God. But for some of us, what if we not submitted to Jesus? What are these little things 
that we, that we have held on to that are prompting this life. We pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for always being there for us, God. Thank you, Lord, that when we feel like we're so far away from you, Jesus, all it takes is just turning around and meeting you, Jesus, that you're closer than our very breath, Lord. I pray for my friends, God, that may be under condemnation right now, God. I pray for my friends in this place who may just feel so heavy, like they're so ashamed, like they feel like they've done too much, Lord. You say that you will restore the years the locusts have eaten. That Jesus, in this place, God, I pray that for my friends who just feel sexually broken, Jesus, for my friends who just feel fractured like they're damaged goods, God, you may just heal them, God. Maybe it's a physical healing, Lord. Maybe it's a spiritual healing. Lord, you know the situation, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that no one feels condemned tonight. That no one feels like, oh, they're not good enough to, I'm not good enough to approach Jesus. Lord, give us the freedom to approach you. Give us the freedom to know, Jesus, that you love us just as much on our worst day as you love us on our best day, God. So, Lord, let there be freedom in this place tonight, God, and not freedom like the world says, but freedom in you, Jesus. Help us to focus on that and not on our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Praise your name. Amen. All right, y'all. I love you guys.